How do you do, neighbor? It's Bree and Spirits time once again. The boys have gathered around, and they're ready for you. So join in, make comments, and study with the guys as they try to study as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. Now, here's the guys. Welcome back to Berean Spirits, folks. What a beautiful, beautiful week we've had. Hot and now some rain. Uh, I do want to say very quickly, our prayers go out to those in Kentucky, uh, St. Louis, and, and other areas who have really just been had some devastation take place with the weather here recently. And so our prayers go out to them, and, uh, and hopefully things are going to be getting a little bit better. Uh, for them moving forward. Uh, but very quickly, uh, again, not only our prayers go out to them, but uh, we uh, uh, hope everybody is is doing well and doing better uh, as we move forward this day and through the rest of the week. My name is Chris Peltz. I'm the evangelist with the Southside Church of Christ in Springfield, Missouri, and we've got Mr. Richard Dodson with the Kearney Church of Christ up in Kearney, Missouri. Richard, how you doing, man? I'm simply fantastic. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you. Yes, you are. Yes, yeah. you are. Yeah. Yep. You just keep telling yourself that. That's, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm still here. Another day. Another day to live on the Lord's earth. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. That's right. We got Josh Thornhill with the Brookmead Church of Christ over in Johnson City, Tennessee. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing all right, uh, Chris. Whatever your name is. What? Wait a minute. <laughs> Get it right now. Don't confuse me. <laughs> I don't talk good sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the way. You only say that because it's true. All right. Um, well, I was just not to lie. So. <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. Oh, well, we've got, I think, a great show for you planned uh, today. But if you haven't, go ahead and take this opportunity to give us a thumbs up. Hit the subscribe button if you're on YouTube. Be sure and follow our page on Facebook as well. If you look up Berean Spirits or any of the congregations that we work for, uh, you can find the information and the live stream that goes live every Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. And, of course, uh, if you're watching later, go ahead and leave a comment. We love hearing from folks as well. And if you want to join the conversation live, you can comment and uh, we do our best to kind of get to those. And we just appreciate hearing from everybody as well. We're going to be talking about our identity in Christ. And this is something that uh, I don't, you know, so many things come to mind when I hear this phrase, identity in Christ. I, I think about Colossians 3 and, and adorning the gospel of Christ. I think about uh, the new creature in Christ and being born again. I, I think about uh, you know sharing our faith with others. And First uh, Peter chapter 4, you know how we no longer run in the same flood of dissipation as we did when we lived as the Gentiles live, but now in Christ. I mean, there's so much, I, I think, to talk about and to get into in this particular subject, but it's important for us to understand first and foremost, you know, the, the idea, the concept of our identity in Christ and who we are as Christians, right? God said in Ephesians chapter one, that we have been adopted. We are children of God, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. And, and, and that carries with it 
not only responsibility, but also, um, you know, a, a purpose in life as well. And, uh, and it's something that should be able to be seen and identified by those around us. So Josh, let's start with you this morning and talking about our identity in Christ and, and kind of what comes to mind and, and what really, you know, stands out to you in, in that particular statement. Well, identity is a uh, pretty popular topic today uh, as far as current events are concerned. <laughs> um, people are identifying as a lot of things and we're not going to get into a whole lot of detail on that, but you have men identifying as women, women identifying as men and you know, people choosing to identify as all sorts of other stuff, which um, we're, I'm not going to even. Native Americans. Anyway. <laughs> what? Native Americans. Yeah. Or, or even worse. I or, mean, yeah. It, it really gets to a level of mental illness, but that's for another discussion. Um, sad, sad reality is we have people who identify as Christians, but they're the furthest, furthest thing from it. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful, that could be true of us. And so um, identity is important. Uh, And I'm not talking about what we identify as, but who we truly are. Um, I think there's a a quotation like um, from a question or something. I think it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, But anyway, it's the question, if you, how many legs does a dog have if you count its tail as a uh, leg? And people are like, oh, well, five. Well, no, it still has four. Because you can call a tail a leg, but it doesn't change the fact that it's a tail. And so what we think we are doesn't mean anything but what we really are. And so the Bible does talk about who we are in Christ, and Chris has already pointed out for uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says that we are a new creation. Uh, I want to think about that from the perspective of 1 Peter, because Peter deals a lot with identity uh, throughout his letter. He begins in the first letter, or first chapter uh, dealing with a, a lot of familial language, uh, talking about uh, us as part of the family of God, uh, he says in verse one through or verses three through four of chapter one that we are born again uh, to a living hope. And I think our, our minds, when we hear "born again," immediately run over to John chapter three, and rightfully so. But uh, the concept there is not just that hey, you need to be baptized, but it's the idea of being born of God. And John picks up that concept of being born of God throughout his writings particularly in first John chapter three, the one who has been born of God does not sin. And so we're born of God. And so we're going to look like God. We're going to enjoy an inheritance. Verse four, we're going to kind of reflect the the image of God because we've been born of him. Uh, In verse 14, we are conducting ourselves as obedient children. And part of that is going to look like uh, reflecting the image of God as the Holy one who called you be holy also in all of your behavior. In verse 17, I really like verse 17 of 1 Peter 1. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear in during the time of your stay on earth. If you're going to call him God, this is what's required of you. Uh, verses 18 and 19, we've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. In verses uh, 22 and 23, we've been born anew. He says, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Uh, 
through living the living and enduring word of God. And really, that's kind of genetic language as well, because God is saying uh, what Peter's saying is God is placing his seed within you. And of course, that seed is the word of God. And then that would take us into chapter two, where he talks about the fact that we are uh, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word of the seed so that we may grow thereby. And really that point, I think, really culminates there in chapter 2 and verse 9, where he's drawn on the language that's used as in regarding Israel, uh, their identity as the people of God, as the chosen nation. And verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's who we are in Christ Jesus. We are God's chosen people. And that's not, that's not a... Um, uh, individual that I mean that's the I'm not physical Israel that's spiritual Israel we are the chosen people uh, a royal priesthood it would be entirely appropriate to introduce ourselves as a royal priest you might get funny looks but it would be appropriate uh, yeah. we're a holy nation that's the one true Christian nation and then we are God's people we belong to God and the purpose for that is at the end of verse 9 so we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We've been redeemed. We've been born of God. We've been made priests. We've been added to this holy nation. We belong to God so we can become his heralds. And again, if we think about this in terms of kingdom language, we are citizens of the kingdom. We belong to the king so we can be a herald of the king. And so I think that speaks to our identity in Christ. And there's a lot of importance in recognizing our identity, that we belong to the king, and that we really embrace that identity as part of God's people. Wow. I mean, there's, there's so much there, right, that yeah. you've brought out. There's so much sounds, there. Richard, go ahead. Sounds like we can go home now. Yeah, right. All right, we'll see you all later. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> finish the sermon? But, you know, you did, uh, you, you brought some thoughts to my mind and, uh, my son recently had to go to the uh, license bureau and to renew his driver's license. And it was our second trip. Actually, he went, well, uh, the second time alone, but the first time I went with him, cause I had some things I had to do too. And they turned him down. He needed two forms of identification because he had to prove who he was. And when I'm thinking about our identity in Christ, which is the topic of the show and what Josh just talked about, and I want to reiterate many of the things that Josh just brought out, but I'm thinking about how did Jesus prove his identity? And he did so by going back and fulfilling prophecy. There was many uh, things said in the prophets that would point out Jesus to the Jew during his time on this earth. They should have known who he was by looking at the clues that were left by the prophets. Now, granted, some of these were pretty hard to understand, but Jesus, Jesus explained those. And so there's, there's things that are mentioned in the Old Testament that describe Jesus. And, of course, as they're describing Jesus, now this kind of goes along with what Josh is saying, they should also be identifying ourselves if we are a disciple of Christ. 
And I, I want to give just one example, and I think it's the most obvious one, uh, when you're thinking about how Jesus is identified, and that's in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, he is described in Isaiah 53 and verse 3 as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And, of course, you know, there's, there's reasons why he was a man of sorrows. Um, it starts off at the very start of that verse by describing one, and that was the fact that he was despised and rejected by men. And so that's going to make him uh, a man of sorrows. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 26, we see, you know, when he was before the ch chief priest, he was falsely accused. And that's never a pleasant thing to be falsely accused by people, but uh, that's going to make someone sad. Uh, in Psalms 41 and verse 9, making reference to Judas, uh, it says he was betrayed by a friend. A lot of people don't realize that Judas was actually a friend of Jesus. He's referred to as a friend, and that's reiterated in John 13, 18. Uh, we mentioned the fact he was rejected by men. Uh, we see that in Matthew chapter 27 when Barabbas was chosen by the people to be released instead of Jesus. And, and you know, they were, you know, Pilate said, what do I do with him, this Jesus? And they said, let him be crucified. Uh, he was abandoned by those who were closest to him when uh, they came to take him away. Uh, you know, they, they all left him alone. Uh, Jesus foretold that in John 16 and verse 32. And uh, the same thing, now, this is interesting too, because the same exact thing happened with the apostle Paul. He mentions in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 16, how he was abandoned. So as you can see, he was also uh, being identified as Christ was identified. And of course we see him being uh, crucified and, and John 19, and, and my point for this is, and I don't want to get into a sermon, uh, just as Josh didn't want to get into, but uh, Jesus had mentioned in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So part of our identity in Christ is to, is to see how Jesus was identified by those Old Testament prophecies, and then see how Jesus fulfilled it. And as a disciple of Christ, we too should be identified in the same way. We should be men of sorrows because we should be persecuted as he was persecuted. All right, I'll, I'll stop there. You know, in uh, it, you could look at Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes in, in a lot of ways as, as Jesus really identifies, you know, his people, his, you know, those who are going to be faithful to him. But there's a few individuals that I think are specifically identified in Scripture as being followers of Christ based upon certain things, certain attributes, characteristics, uh, um, attitudes, and speech. Peter, for example, when Jesus was being taken to be crucified, you know, Peter was identified by those around him as a follower of Christ based upon his speech. And that's important for us to understand, right? He was identified by others because of how he was talking, what he was saying, and they recognized that. And the question would be then, when we talk to people, are we identified as a follower of Christ by those around us 
based upon what we say. Ephesians chapter 4, you know, towards the end of that chapter, 28 through 32, and th- throughout it talks about, you know, the he who, you know, let, let your speech, um, you know, be, uh, you know, no longer lies, right? Don't lie anymore. And then uh, give grace to the hearer. Yeah, right? yeah, and nay, nay. You let your, yeah, that, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, I thought you were cheering me on there for a minute, Richard. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> go Chris, go. <laughs> That's right. You know, but, but just, and how we talk, how, you know, what we say and how we say it is, is important and it makes a difference and it can influence those around us. It's, it's why our, our language, you know, we need to be careful about our language. We need to be careful about you know, how we come across to others and how we treat others uh, in our speech when we go out to eat, you know, and, and how we treat servers or, um, you know, the hosts who seat us or, or cooks or, or whoever is around us, how we treat them, how we talk to them, you know, does it reflect, to use the language of, of not only scriptures, but what the guys have already said, does it reflect one who is a, a true follower of Christ, uh, or does it reflect one who is pretty much of the world and thinking only of themselves and their own desires and wants, um, and, and nothing more. That's that's exactly right. Was Jesus worldly? Nobody would look at Jesus and the life he lived and describe him as worldly. But if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, if we want to be identified as Christ, how can we claim to be a Christian and be worldly? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense because Jesus wasn't worldly. And so I think it, it's really important for us to look at how Jesus was identified and then start looking at ourselves saying, okay, do others identify me in the same way they identify Jesus? And if we're lacking at some point, then uh, we need to work on that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Josh, go ahead. Uh, I want to touch on something that uh, Richard mentioned there, and, and that is the concept of persecution. Jesus says if... They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Yeah, that one. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the book of First Peter, I think that's why Peter's writing and why he writes about our identity in Christ. Um, he picks up the concept of suffering quite heavily in the letter. It's only five chapters, but the words suffer in various forms, suffer, suffering, suffered, is used 15 times. It's a pretty short letter, but he uses the word suffer in its various forms 15 times in the letter. And as you study secular history, it would indicate that these Christians aren't being killed at this point. Uh, but they're being maligned for their allegiance to Christ, you know, because they're the Christians are all of a sudden thinking, living counterculturally. They're living different than the culture. And that's why in chapter four and verse four, it says they think it's strange. They do not walk with you in the same flood of dissipation. They're, they're making fun of you. You're weird. You Christians. Why don't you just act normal like everybody else? That's the kind of thing there. And, the point that Peter's making here is that that persecution is going to be inevitable and it's only going to get worse. Does that sound familiar? 
I can't believe that it's 2022 and we still have Christians who don't or still have people who, who, who have a problem with homosexuality. That's just the start of it. And it's going to get worse. It's going to grow worse and worse and worse. But the answer to that is not to hide our light under the basket. Our answer is not to just kind of blend in, but rather to embrace our identity in Christ, to draw near to him so that we can obtain the internal inheritance. Now, the, the Bible, uh, the, it's clear that we're living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. This world is wicked. It's growing worse and worse. And we're facing a daily assault from the world in an effort to tear us away from our identity in Christ. And that's why you have Disney making videos and movies and such where they're trying to infiltrate our children with these uh, the, the concepts of evil. And I'm going to call it what it is, the concepts of evil. That's why you have these companies trying to infiltrate the minds of our children and even ourselves trying to influence us to their evil agendas because it's only growing worse and worse. They're trying to get us to turn away from our identity in Christ and to embrace them, the world. And we need to recognize our identity in Christ so we can hold fast in that storm. It's not the time to acquiesce. It's not the time to compromise. It's not the time to water down our faith or to deny our faith in Christ. It's, it's the time to hold fast, to stand firm in Christ, our identity in Him, uh, to draw near to Him, to cling to Him, and to really dig our heels in and to say that I'm not going to change. I'm going to live counterculturally because my allegiance is to the King, King Jesus, that is. And so persecution is going to come and it's only going to get worse. You know, in First Peter, that persecution, that suffering, while the term is used in its various forms, and, and I think he said 15 uh, different times, it's alluded to even more than that right off the bat. Those of the dispersion. Right? Why yep. was there a dispersion from Jerusalem? Well, because of the suffering, because mm -hmm. of the persecution that was taking place. And on and on it, it goes throughout that book. And so, um, so even, even while the term is used so many times, it's alluded to even more because of what was taking place and what was happening. And you know, throughout all of this, the, this uh, this identity that we're to have we, you know, we reflect the father and and it goes back really as children um you know you I've run into people who knew my parents uh, who have known my parents and characteristics um you know of of both of them and like oh I, I can see you know your mom and you know in in certain aspects of, of your faith I can see you know, it, or you remind me of your dad when you do this or that, uh, you know, and that's reflecting them that that's showing that there's an identity that is there. There are certain traits that we have. The thing about being a, a Christian and I, in that identity in Christ is that these are things that we work at, that we strive for, that we are, uh, choosing, to reflect, choosing to show uh, to others. It's not something that, you know, we, you know, cause we are adopted, right? We are not the, the only begotten of the father that was Christ Jesus. But now as adopted children, 
that influence that he's having on us is so powerful and so great. And we are so much so in uh, to it that, you know, we are living a life uh, uh, that shows how much we're into it, that shows how much we are focused upon spiritual things rather than worldly things. You know, uh, I'm, I'm mindful of what you just said, Chris. And I, I think about second Peter one ten, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election diligence. I mean, we need diligence and, you know, before this show started, we were talking about a, another issue that, uh, come up at a church and I can't help, but think, you know, the, how important that should be to believers, uh, to find out what's right, you know, to give diligence about this. And in Acts 15, the church in Antioch had a, an issue with circumcision and, and they gave diligence to find out what the truth was on this. Now, all too often there'll be things that will come up and, and you'll see Christians say, eh, you know, whatever, you know, they, they, there's just, there's not a really a, a care. There's not an emphasis made about knowing what's right, but that should, we should be concerned about what's right. Um, David, and because it does reflect our identity in Christ, David Stambersky makes a comment. It's, it's a question with a comment. I think he says, will it be appropriate to say that someone who confesses to be a Christian, but is never persecuted is living a double standard. I want to touch on that for a second. <laughs> um, I, I did a, a sermon. I did a series of sermons going through uh, the Beatitudes and when I got to the the section where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, that's a sobering thought to study. Peter, or Paul says, those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. They will suffer persecution. There's no exception to that. Um, and so my question... And, Part of the problem, I think, is when we think of persecution, we automatically think of, of the end, of, of being killed. That is persecution, and that's the most extreme of persecution. Uh, but persecution can come in very simple forms. You know, where, where I used to preach over in West Tennessee, there was a, a part of the congregation was a, a large family, and uh, <clears throat> they were all part of this insurance company. And every so often, uh, this company would have like a, a dinner, like all the members would get together for a dinner. And they would have these awards and such. Uh, they would recognize certain people. And I remember being at one of them one time, and they recognized a guy. And as they're describing what this guy did before they announced it, I was like, oh, that's the brother from our congregation. Well, it was somebody else. And the guy from our congregation, he did just as much, if not more than what they were recognizing this guy before, but they never recognized him. And they said that it was, uh, well, the, the Christians, his family were saying that he never gets recognized. And partly it's because of his outspoken faith. That's a form of persecution. Being made fun of, being laughed at, 
being ridiculed because we take a, a stand for the truth. That's being persecuted. It's minor, but it is being persecuted. And if none of that is taking place, then I'd question uh, just how righteously or, or how outspoken you are in your identity as a Christian. And, and I'm not saying that you have to, uh, to have that neon sign, I'm a Christian, laugh at me. But if there's no opportunity for any persecution to come against you, then maybe you need to step out more in your faith and to be more vocal in your faith or uh, to express your, your faith a little more so that not saying go seek persecution, go try to be persecuted, but. <laughs> yeah. um, so with that, Josh, and I think you're right. I think we've in, in one sense, we've got to be very careful as to not try and determine, well, you know, uh, if we're not being persecuted in this way, then somehow we're living wrong or we're not, you know, truly identifying as, as we're not at Christians uh, because persecution does come that way. Now you used one term as, and I'm trying to remember, you, you said it was minor, uh, I think, mm -hmm. or, you know, not significant or in some way. Well, you know what? Persecution uh, is different for everyone and how minor or how significant it is, is different for them as well. Sure. You know, and, and so, uh, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, but in one point would be though, that maybe it's a little bit more significant for him than it would be for you or for me or for, for Richard or someone else. Um, and so, you know, how are we persecuted? You know, sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, somebody not wanting to, uh, have a conversation with us, not wanting to talk to us uh, or be friends with us because of our faith. I mean, various things, various forms, which to some may seem minor, but to others, it, it can be a pretty significant thing, uh, you know, because of personalities and, uh, and, and, you know, just depending on the person and what they've been through in their life or not been through. So uh, that, you know, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, uh, you know, when, not if, but when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, James 1, verse 2. And so that's, you know, that is something I think we do suffer persecution. And sometimes as a group, and not necessarily directly as individuals, but as a group, when we suffer persecution through laws that governments put in place against Christians, when we're affected by that, then we are a, uh, you know, uh, we are uh, the one it's directed to, you know, even as a group. And so an actual example of that, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my parents live out in California and the government has been very much overbearing with their COVID standards. And that's a form of persecution against yeah. particularly you know christians and, and you kind of think that they have an agenda there you don't know necessarily um i don't want to impugn motives where there's none but um just the fact that they they want to restrict your ability to freely worship that's persecution yeah yeah i i like the uh the phrase, and a lot of people don't look at this as persecution, but I think it is, is 
is when uh, somebody looks at you and say, oh, you're a member of the Church of Christ. You people think you're the only ones going to heaven. That's uh, a mocking, derogatory statement. Exactly. And the very fact that, uh, you know, they, they see that there's bigger churches in town, denominational and such, you know, they look at our size and they think, well, you know, they're just nuts. Uh, again, that's a form of persecution. Any of those pejorative statements are. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, but, what statements? You heard me. No, I know, but I don't understand it. <laughs> Context, buddy. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Richard. <laughs> well, I think there's other identities that we have in Christ as well. I mean, there's there's countless things that we can look at if yeah. we want to move on past persecution. Well, but, uh, and, and the fact I brought up the fact that he was a man of sorrow. So there's. Yeah. There's there's many things that we can talk about. I guess one good one we can mention is that Jesus was identified as a man of prayer. And uh, there's countless scriptures in the, in the Gospels that talk about Jesus uh, being someone who, who, who prayed. And, um, you know, he would get up in Luke, Mark chapter 1. He got up very early in the morning. And uh, he went to pray uh, before he chose his apostles. He was uh, uh, he went alone all night and continued to pray. Um, so I mean, prayer was something that uh, that Jesus did. And so when we're thinking about uh, praying, first of all, I think <laughs> we need to be like his disciples and, and noticing that Jesus prays, and then we want to learn about that. You know, in Luke 11, 1, they saw Jesus praying and they said, teach us to pray. Well, we should want to learn about prayer, but then after we've learned about it, then again, if we want to be identified as Jesus, then we need to pray like he did and, and, uh, and to uh, uh, have faith in it uh, because, you know, he, he did that very thing. So people need to know us as a, you know, in Luke 5, 16, it says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He was known for being a man of prayer. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves as Christians is, are we known as a person of prayer? Uh, people need to see that. And, you, you know, when I was a young man, <laughs> I, I, I remember I was with a friend of mine, and something took place, but I started uttering a prayer in my head, and I guess my lips were moving. And he looked at me and he said, "You're praying." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm. So How did you know? You know?" And he said, "I saw your lips moving." Now, I was just a young boy, I'm, but I'm using that as an example of someone who who noticed me praying. And it's not the fact that I pray to be noticed by men. In fact, like as I said, Jesus would draw away to be alone to pray. But do people know us to pray? In other words, if there's something that comes up, you know, and Josh brings something to me, do I say, you know, Josh, let's pray about this. You know, let, let's, let's, you know, you do that enough times, then people are going to know that uh, when somebody brings you an issue or something, bring you a problem with something, your first response is going to be, let's pray about this. You know, let's, let's, 
let's 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 include God in this. Let's see if we can get His help first of all, and that will help us to be known more like Jesus as a man of prayer. And, and Jesus was known as that way. Yeah. You know, Christians years ago were known as a people of the book. And I think in one sense, we're starting to lose that identity as people who know the scriptures, people who are familiar with the word of God can, can not just necessarily quote scriptures, but can show you where it is, take you to it and point out, this is what the word of God says. And, and that was an identity that Christians had years ago. And, 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 and it's, there are still some that are there and they're known for that. But in many ways, that, that's something that seems to be getting lost, um, it, you know, unfortunately. And I think that's an identity we need to have. We need to be known as a people of the book, people of authority, people of, uh, of you know, the, the scriptures. And, and it's not just personal identity. Uh, if we have time before we close out, you know, we can mention even the church as a whole, identifying the church, because a lot of people want to know, how do I know which church is right, which congregation or, or which, uh, you know, they might ask denomination, you know, is correct. Everyone claims to follow the Bible, but how do I know? Well, there's identifying marks, you know, identifiers that show which church is the true church and, and which one is man-made. Uh, and so there's all kinds of things that we could look at in identifiers to show uh, what is of God and what is of man. Hey, Chris, uh, I want to, I want to interject. Uh, I want to go back. I want to backtrack. Debbie Kruger wrote something in yeah, and, when, and it applies to when we were talking about persecution as an identity of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, she just mentioned it can be a family member, like an adult child, just turning their heart against you. Yeah. Yes, it can, Debbie. <laughs> yes, it can. Yeah. yeah. And that, and that's, and that is a persecution that, uh, brings about great pain. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Pain. Josh. Is he muted? No. He's oh yeah. Muted. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Technology. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So I think going back to first Peter and the discussion of our identity that, that Peter draws upon, uh, one of the things that he emphasizes as far as our identity as in Christ is that we are to live as exiles. If you notice uh, the way he begins the letter in chapter one and verse one to those who reside as aliens, in chapter 2 and verse 11, Beloved, I, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. So, again, he picks up that concept of being an exile in, in the land in which you dwell. The patriarchs, and I love the language here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the patriarchs consider themselves to be exiles. Chapter 11 and verse 3, All these died in faith without having received the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. The patriarchs lived, even Abraham, you know, the patriarch lived even in the promised land, but they lived as an alien in the promised land, as a stranger in the promised land. It wasn't their homeland. It wasn't the, the land because they didn't own anything. You know, they just lived as kind of nomadic lives throughout the promised land. 
And as it says in verse 10, Abraham, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham, the patriarchs, lived as strangers in a foreign land because they were looking forward to the heavenly country. And we need to live as exiles in this land. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we need to be able to say, this world is not my home and truly mean it. Like the song that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, and, but nobody wants to go now. That's not a very Christian attitude to have. Paul had the attitude that, you know, I would much rather put off my earthly tent and be clothed in my eternal dwelling. And he recognized that, you know, while God has me still here, I have work to do. Uh, I, there's benefit that I can be to the Lord's people while I'm still here. But if it was up to me, I'd go home to my eternal home. And if we don't have that perspective, maybe we're too caught up in this world. This world is not my home, and we need to mean that. And so in Hebrews 11, verse 16, it says, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's so cool. Yeah. God looked about, about at these people, these patriarchs who have embraced their identity as exiles. They don't belong here. They, they embrace the promise. They're children of the promise. And God looks at them and says, these are my people. These people belong to me. On the other side of that, if we're too caught up in this world and we think this world is my home, we might have God look upon us and say, I'm ashamed of these people. Yeah, that, but if that's... we embrace the promise, if we live as exiles in this land, God will say, these people belong to me. And what a blessing that will be. Absolutely. I can't imagine the Lord's, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I mean, you know, when, when, if you ever said that to a child or had that said to you as a child to, by somebody that you loved and respected and looked up to so dearly and they, you know, I'm ashamed of you. I, I mean, that how devastating that really is. Uh, and, and wow, you know, but he, but, mm -hmm. but he's saying there that there's a way to avoid all of that. And, and that is a blessing, truly a blessing. Richard, any last thoughts? Well, you brought the word ashamed. I was thinking about, you know, the Christians who are ashamed of Jesus. Uh, and, and so many times we try to uh, live our Christian life hiding our identity uh, instead of embracing it. Yeah. And that's being ashamed of Jesus. I mean, when, when people question us, well, like Peter, for instance, you brought up Peter the night he betrayed Jesus and the woman who said, you know, your speech betrayeth you. You know, he should, he should have been proud to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. And, and likewise, that's what we need to be as well. If When we're not embracing his doctrine and, and being proud of the fact that the Lord has embraced us, then we're ashamed. Yeah. And and we're we're running away the same way Peter did the night that uh, he betrayed Jesus, and so uh, when he denied him. So we, you right. know, we need to make sure that we're not making that same mistake. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel." Romans one verse sixteen. Right. Uh, you you referenced John twelve forty two and forty three. Many believed in Jesus, but would not confess him fearing being put out of the synagogues, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God, they were ashamed. You know, uh, Matthew 10 talks about, you know, it, 
whoever confesses me before men, I'll confess before my father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. And I mean, that's the point, you know, the being ashamed and, and, or not being ashamed. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that, that's important for us to understand. That's part of our identity uh, and who we are and, and who we are as Christians. Josh, I mean, I can I get, I, I know I'm, I'm being indulgent. I'm sorry, You're but good. I, I want to make one. And this is for young people. This is just something that has always been the case, but there's tremendous pressure by the devil on young people, uh, giving up their virginity and, and having sexual relations before marriage. And there's peer pressure that comes down upon them. And when a young person tries to serve the Lord, inevitably at some point, someone's going to say, well, you know, the Lord doesn't allow sex before marriage. Are you saying you're a virgin? And of course, you know, for a Christian, a Christian needs to be able to stand there and say with pride, absolutely I am. I don't care how old they are. Absolutely I'm a virgin. And then, of course, they're going to follow that up by saying, well, you must be gay, you know, or, or something of that nature. They're going to try to run a young person down and break them of that or make them ashamed of that. Let me tell you something. The shame comes in violating God's will and giving in to the sexual temptation. That's where the shame comes from. It is not a shame to obey Jesus. And I hope the young people listening Take that to heart. If you are doing what God wants you to do, then you need to, to be thankful to the Lord that he's protecting you and watching over you, but don't be ashamed of the fact that you're being obedient to him and, and don't let people try to run you down. That's just another form of persecution. Sure. I, I'm sorry, but I just, I wanted to bring that up. Yeah. Josh, go ahead. Last thoughts. Well, I had some until Richard interrupted. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry. I think we, we just need to remember the fact that we are children of the king. We, we belong to the king. Our loyalty is solely to him. And we need to make sure that we're, we're continuing to live as heralds of our great king. Whatever that entails, I'm going to live my life in service to the king. And that's my focus. Because I'm going to be standing before the king in judgment. And I want to live with the king forever in eternity. And so I live my life in loyalty to him so that way I could live in a way that he will be proud to call me his own. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Folks, we appreciate everybody who tunes into the Berean Spirits every Thursday morning. And if you listen later, of course, go ahead and leave a comment as well. And uh, we just love hearing from everybody. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button or the follow button, if you're on Facebook uh, this week, Josh talked about aliens next week. He's going to talk about flat earthers. And so join us next week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just, that that's a real issue. Yeah, no, it is. Both yeah. of them. <laughs> Both of them. Are. Oh man. All right. But uh, yeah, tune in next week as well. Uh, Berean Spirits every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Josh, uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm getting them confused. Richard, because they both look the same to me, is going to be Ouch. <laughs> Richard's like, all right. And Josh is like, ouch. 
<laughs> Richard has a program tonight, Gospel Preaching Live. You can check that out on the Carney uh, Church of Christ Facebook page. And uh, he does a great job with that every Thursday night and Sunday night. So check out Gospel Preaching Live. We are not talking about flat earthers next week, by the way. No, we're not. No, okay. We're not. Okay. That's fine. We're not? All right. <laughs> Folks, thanks again for listening to Berean Spirits. Remember to search the scriptures daily with Berean Spirits. Well, folks, that's all for today. Don't worry. Lord willing, the guys will be back next week for another Bible study on Berean Spirits. Until then, let the guys hear from you. Drop them some email at reinspirits at gmail.com. They'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep studying that Bible.